Welcome to Cooking the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point, through the good times and the bad, and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cooking the Books. This week on the podcast, I had another one of my mates on, Billy White, and he's just wrote his first cookbook called Eat, Run, Enjoy. Without sounding biased, everyone's going to be like, oh, you're just saying that. I'm telling you, this book is class. It's a real, real quality book. The lad's put, he's worked in some fantastic restaurants, he's, in a, he's an amazing chef, fantastic chef, cooks really good, tasty food. He's done his dues, he's done his dues, is that the right word? He's paid his dues, maybe. He's worked in some fantastic restaurants, which he talks about um, in England and, and in Sweden. Yeah, and he's, he's put all the recipes into his book, but he's, he's also started being a, a, a long-distance runner, uh, a trail runner or whatever you say. These people that do like 50 miles or 100 miles or whatever, uphills and the, the height of Everest and all this, they're all fucking crazy in my opinion, but he loves it. So he's, it's kind of themed along along that. So he's, he's, he's mix, uh, mixing his his two passions which is obviously food and running um but what i would say and we we spoke about this in the on the podcast is it really suits the style of food that billy cooks really suits the melbourne um cafe not just cafe yeah but we'll say cafe everyone knows what i mean like that cafe scene you know his style of food i believe really suits that so it's not just for runners um, it's definitely for all chefs. It's from it, it's got all, all kinds of things in there, you know, from smoothies to braised rabbit to chicken liver devil. I think it's devil chicken livers on toast, um, raw slices, trail mix smoothies. It's it's amazing, honestly. I'm not just saying it's amazing. And this is we just go through Billy's career, what he did at the beginning, where he ended up, and what him, what inspired him to start running, and what inspired him to write the book. I hope everyone enjoys it basically i hope everyone enjoys the uh, episode and if you do have a look follow billy and if you if you really enjoy it and you think you might be interested you should order his book it's a ripper and i swear to god i'm not just saying that it is an absolute ripper now over to the show whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. sorry i know normally at this point we start the episode but this week we got ranked 12th in the itunes uh, charts in australia for food podcasts so, I never thought that could really happen because there's so many big networks that have podcasts and even like BBC One, Podcast One, all the big dogs have pod, have um, podcasts and big media marketing teams and all the rest of it promoting their podcasts. But yeah, we got in, we got number twelve this week, and it just goes to show the small man can the small man on his little mission can really really push forward and and and, and start breaking into them with the hanging with the big dogs but that means that you know that can go for everything but anyway i know we've, we've just we've got heaps of new listeners and i know there's thousands of listeners 
but yet there's all and eighty seven percent of them are on iTunes because I can see all the, the metrics, and there's only seventy two ratings on the iTunes app. So I can see you haven't given me a star or a rating or even a review. Review, I, I get it, but it takes no less than one second. So what I'm asking for, it's for me, a little bit my ego, a little bit of a polished ego, and for the one man having that fight against the um, against the big corporations. But what it is, what else it's for is for everyone whose story that we're interviewing and putting out there, more people that listen, more people get inspired, more people understand the hospitality industry, more people understand how many how much effort people put in the hospitality industry, more people realise how intelligent and how passionate and we're not it's not just, you know, one mindset, you know, we have runners and beekeepers and, you know, brewers and everything. You know, there's a lot of different aspects. So it encourages people maybe to get into the industry, it gives people confidence in the industry. So it's 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 all about that. So if you if you can take two seconds It'll literally take two seconds. Just press, give me a star rating. Be honest, one star or five stars, whatever. I'm not saying don't be honest. Be honest. Uh, if you've got any value out of this, please give us a, a rating because I'd love to break that top 10 and it'll be a real win for us and for anyone who's the small person going against the big person. Um, that's what we stand for. So yeah, if you could just take two seconds and do that, I would much appreciate it. Sorry for interrupting, but 12th. I really want to get in that top 10. So I'm, this is, in the words of Gary V. this is a right hook and I'm really asking. So thanks very much. Hope you enjoy the show. Take it easy. Well, listen, Billy, thanks very much for doing this uh, all the way from Sweden. How's the, uh, before we get into this, how's the weather in Sweden? It's all right today. It's, what is it, 13 degrees, 14 degrees, a little bit, a bit windy, blue skies. It's all right. Have you had a good summer? This summer's been nice, pretty... I don't know, mid-twenties, it never gets that hot. Okay, last year was really hot. This year, mid-twenties, pretty sunny. Water was just about warm enough to swim in in the lakes. It was, yeah, yeah beautiful. Yeah, but the, you'll yeah. be getting some, and now it'll be snow, is it? Snow's coming? I think hopefully it'll hold off until sort of December, early December. So we'll get, it starts, the night starts to draw in a little bit and it's a little bit cooler. But hopefully it's not going to be. It's a, most people will love it when the snow comes, but it, it's not ideal for running. And once the snow arrives, and yeah. I can't ski or ice skate or any of that, so and like Bambi, Bambi yeah. on ice when the winter comes properly. Yeah, and the um, regarding the the, the 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 dark nights coming in in the summer, is it's true? It, it when does it start getting dark in the summer? Heat is peak of summer. If you're like midsummer, like towards the end of June, in Stockholm, it maybe starts getting dark half past 10, something like that. If you're a little bit further up north, where we, where, where Christy and my wife's family come from, then it never gets properly dark in the summer. Yeah, that's crazy. It gets, it gets a little bit dark, but you can always see like sunlight in the horizon, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's amazing. Yes. Yeah. So it'll be after midnight, and it's still light. It's weird. Yeah, I remember. I remember um, back home when I was a kid, and because like in England, it doesn't get dark till quite like in the summer. What is it like again? Ten o'clock, half ten, something around about there. Yeah, something like that. And I'd be I'd be getting put to bed at like eight o'clock, eight thirty, and the next door neighbour would be fucking uh, mowing his lawn. You know what I mean? Like whistling. <laughs> 
I'm like, I'm like <laughs> should I try to get a sleep? Um, anyway, listen. It's difficult putting the kids to bed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, when it's, yeah, trying to explain to them, no, it's night time. And they're like, oh, is it really? <laughs> you full of shit. Um, we met about 15 years ago at Jasmine Dean House. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, a lot's gone on since then. I want to just quickly, obviously you brought the book out. I want to speak about the book, but I, I really I want to go through your career and, and what you've done up until this point to give a bit of a, a backstory because it's pretty interesting. I've always really thought you've always made really smart decisions. It looks like from the outset, it looks like you made, <laughs> you made smart decisions, smart moves, kind of pathed your, pathed your career quite wisely with the jobs and, and the experience and whatnot. So from Jasmine Dean House, where did you go? I went to London very briefly. I think I was 20, was I 25? Which was quite old. Like It doesn't feel old at all now. <laughs> feels like I was extremely young. But at the time, I felt I was a bit old to be moving to London and starting up as a chef. And going into these like hardcore kitchens in London, I went into a few and it, I, I was a shock to the system. It wasn't, it wasn't really for me. It took me, compared to up north, like we had some good restaurants and, and it, the way, the way of working, it was kind of hardcore and you'd have a, but you'd have a split every afternoon and you'd be home by half past 10, 11 and then going to London, it was seven in the morning till one o'clock in the morning and I didn't get along with it very well. So I went and did a ski season in, in the Alps and, cooked in a private chalet for five months snowboarding every day which was a little bit more suitable <laughs> how how was that how was that as an experience was it good the ski the ski the yeah, snowboard yeah the, snowboard season i think it was really fun because i like i was in my mid-20s i was sort of i guess i was as arrogant as most mid-20s chefs are that they think they know a lot more than they do yeah and it was quite a nice schooling to go and cook every day you got a lot of positive feedback but then you also learned that you had a lot of holes in your holes in your armor if you know what i mean there was a lot of things shortcomings like my pastry skills weren't great and i mean they're still not great and bits and pieces so it was nice to get feedback and interact with guests which made me grow a little bit but it was also it sort of made me realize that i wasn't ready to be a sous chef or a head chef like in my young mind i thought i was if you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure 100%. yeah yeah. The um, I remember you saying one thing. You said um, if you, as long as your seasoning's right in them chalets, I remember you saying this to me. You 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 aren't a winning thing already because their seasoning's always so out that you, as long as that's right, you you're not far off. Yeah, I think so. And it wasn't. It was like it was quite a nice chalet, but it wasn't like top top the the poshest of chalets so you could just people would add a full day skiing they just wanted something that tasted nice so you didn't have to go all in like hope cuisine or fine dining it was more like you make really good solid solid food roast chicken with dauphinoise and watercress salad and these sorts of things it was and i mean you get that season if you get the seasoning right People aren't going to be disappointed, I don't think. So then, then what happened? You, you left there and come back to to London. I went to. I was there, and I took. I didn't have much space to pack, like cookbooks or anything with me. So I took one book, the Nose to Tail Cooking by Fergus Henderson at St John. Yeah. After I got back, I ended up going to to lunch at St John with a friend, another lad that we used to work with at Jasmine Dean House, Gary Gary Dahl. Yeah. 
a couple of bottles of wine in, I asked, or we both asked, if there was any jobs going at at St. John. And it turned out that there was. So a couple of months later, when a position came on, a position was up after their summer refurbishment. So I think two months later, I was in at St. John and... That's where I was. I was at St. John for just over two years, I think. Yeah, far out. And was it a good experience? Did it change your, your view on food? It changed the way that, like, the way we worked was very seasonal and common sense and no nonsense, no green on the plate just because you want some colour or everything had a purpose that was there. And also the way we treated one another and socially how good the staff food was and how important it was to sit down together and eat well. And the conversation was a lot more in like, this isn't to be anti-Northern because I'm proud, proudly Northern, but in a Northern kitchen, it was a lot of conversations revolved around football and tits. Yeah. yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. And then at St. John, it was a different, it was a slightly, I don't know, a little bit more highbrow, which was kind of, I like football and I like, and I like tits, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting to, it was like a new world, you know what I mean? It it really opened, it wasn't, it wasn't all about the food. It wasn't about the Michelin stars or the glitz or the glamour or all of that. It was just about good, good stuff cooked well. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, and it yeah. did change absolutely. I don't think it. Not I've never worked at a place that changed the way I cook so dramatically. Because as well, you you, you get, they're getting the whole birds in, and and the way you change your cooked as well, like using the, the they're known for offal, and like you said, nose to tail, kidneys, and all the livers, and the the brain, and the um, head terrine, and all the rest of it. So you you're using a lot more things that would normally go in the bin, do you know what I mean, generally. So you, yeah. you use, and also, I guess, making money as well, I would have thought that, you know. The, I think it was really, it was interesting to, it was it was fortunate because it was a big place. We could do, we'd do 100 covers a little bit more at dinner time and 50 or 60 for lunch. And it was full and we worked in a system. So you'd buy in whole animals, butcher them and work your way through them. So a lunch service could be the shoulder of a middle white pig, then moving on to the leg into the dinner. And then maybe if you started to run out, you knew you'd have a few portions from the, I don't know, whatever bits and pieces left over. You could make, maybe there was half a dozen chops that you'd got from the the middle rack. Do you know? So you could all watch, everything was about, you'd work your way through it and think a little bit on your feet and just common sense, you know? A really nice way, way of working. And then when you had the livers, you had one head, so that would always be split and braised. So you'd have two portions of pig's head for two a week because that's how often the pigs would come in. It was an inter- It was a really fun yeah. way of working. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and, and keeping old traditions alive, you know, getting that opportunity to keep them, keep the, the old British style, I guess, you know, being part of that. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty good just that alone. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It was a, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. I think I have to say. The only thing I would say is that everyone that I have that I've known, everyone who I've known who've worked for St John's, seem to pile on a few fucking pounds. I tell you, <laughs> t- I tell you what, everyone, everyone I, was going, bit, I was a bit heavier. I was a bit heavier. <laughs> Jesus, it's like a bloody you. You are. You must be working at St John's, are you? And they're like, ah, oh, yeah. That's what it. <laughs> that's what it seems but to me. We used to, when I started, it was a free bar. So all yeah. the staff had a free bar. And um, and the rumour is that there was me and Welsh John, who's now the current, he's like the group head chef now. He's uh, he's still there. 
I think it was the two of us had a had a fair. <laughs> I, I guess we're to blame for the free bar closing. It was I was fueled by Guinness and pork fat for like for those two years. There's no question. Gee, crazy. And then you left there and went to and went to Sweden. Yeah, when I was there uh, at the time, I mean, this it's such a it's it's more than ten years ago now, and and it seems strange to think that at the time there wasn't many other places in London that I wanted to work at. Whereas now there's so many places that are interesting. Yeah. And there was places then, but just the, the direction food was going in, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of noise coming from Scandinavia with with Copenhagen and Nolmer and Matthias Dahlgren in in Stockholm and and bits and pieces happening here and there. Paul Cunningham in Copenhagen as well at the time before he moved out to the country. So I spent I I went over a few times and did a couple of stages in Copenhagen and then in Stockholm. And that was my intention always that I was going to move over there at some point yeah. with the the food trend and the, this like natural way of cooking, I suppose, a bit of a, it suited for, as a, as a progression from St. John, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Smart, smart. Instead of being like a lot like, um, St. John, not saying it's heavy, but it's very meat and, and, you know, it's, it is hearty to then try and lighten it up and learn a bit more about, you know, they've got a bit more of a lighter, delicate touch, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And just that a little bit more seafood, like bit like on the north, eastern, I mean, it's still the North Sea, but a little bit further north, you get really good, like shellfish and, and these things. And I don't know, it was trend. It was a bit trend driven because of course you keep an eye on stuff. If it had been five years earlier, I would have been wanting to move to Catalonia and work at El Bulli, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, was, for sure. Yeah, but the, it seemed like a it seemed like a step in the right direction to come to Scandinavia and see what it see what was going on. Yeah. So you you decided to go to Matthias Dorgans, right? Is that what it is Matthias Dorgan? Yeah, when I Fergus won a big award in Sweden and ended up um, coming to Stockholm to cook a dinner, and Justin, who was the head pastry chef at the time, who went who went on to open Bread Ahead, the big chain of bakeries in London, he was really difficult to please. Every time he went out for a meal, he thought it was terrible. <laughs> and then he went to Sweden and went to Matthias Dahlgren at Mark Barron and said it was it was really good. I was like, hang on a minute, there must be something here. If Justin says it's good, then it then it must be something. Yeah, yeah. So, so I went over there and did a start. So I went to Noma for a, for a week or so, and then I went to Matthias for a week or so. That's when you could do week <laughs> stages. They don't week stages are few yeah. and far between these days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that no, that worked good. And then when I was in Stockholm, that's when I met my wife, Christine. So oh, on the stage, on the stage, I was on the stage staying with an old friend of mine, and. Who the friend I was staying with, Anna, is best friends with Christine, who now is my wife. Oh, fuck. I didn't realize that's how you met, actually. That's interesting. Yeah, so well, that yeah, was, it. So it was So Norma was out the window in Stockholm, it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how things quickly yeah. change. <laughs> Do you know? What yeah. I mean? <laughs> Going back to that football and tits, it's really, um, <laughs> it never dies. Um, so yeah, I tell you, I've got to say that that Mateus Dorgans, that place, I'll, that's one of my favourite ever experiences of a restaurant. I love that place. I think it's a fantastic spot. Such a good restaurant, and now I think now it's coming up to twelve years old. I think, and it's still the same. Just one of these. It's a. It became an. Uh, what do you say? An institution, kind of like 
the standard of food is so good it's always consistently good it's got this like big city sort of buzz about it as well like you can only get in a, a big city restaurant if you know what i mean i know exactly but in what Fort, yeah it's lovely it's a great restaurant and i was i was i was there for two years i think a little bit more as well um, and the the lunch the lunches um like you say like in the city you get that like true like like the suits and that do you know what i mean it has that that real city lunch feel do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's such a nice and in in that one is it still the same now when you go in you turn right to like the two star and left to the one star is that still the same thing yeah he's he's closed the two star and now he has a vegetarian restaurant Oh. To the right, so he opened a, a reg- vegetarian restaurant called Rutabaga, which I think means what is Rutabaga in English? Swede, okay. or turnip? No, yeah, it's okay. Swede, I think. Rutabaga, yeah. and um, and then to the right, ra- to the left is still is still Mark Barron. Yeah, okay, and they're still doing well. Still, still kicking goals. Yeah, still doing really well. Stood, yeah. I think it's it's one of those places. It's so good that it's never going to not do well. I think. Yeah, yeah. And we did it when we were there. They had a you had a I think it was a herring dish on in like a um, it was in like a casserole. You know, like the glass casserole dishes that your mum has. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know yeah, what, yeah. And like your mum used to do braised beef in them and that and like fucking red hot glass puts it in the middle of the table takes yeah, it yeah. wobbling trying to take the a bit burnt on the inside yeah, you it, can see the burnt pan exactly <laughs> but you used to do a yeah, salad yeah. in them do you remember yeah I think so yeah, there was a there was a herring dish in there. I think there was a yeah, yeah. It was nice, and I also remember there that you you cut the um, you also cut the um, the chives. Fuck, I was trying to spit it out there. Chives instead of cutting them straight, you cut them on the bias. Do you remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. I remember you being a bit happy about that. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think that was it. I remember you saying as well. You're like, they said, "Oh, who? Me mate's coming. You know, I've come to visit and that." And you said, oh, "He said he looks like the most English." The woman on the door said to me that you said, "You didn't even tell me the name." He said, "It'll, it'll just look really English." That's what all you said. <laughs> <laughs> and then that we walked up. You're like, "Oh, that's them." Fucking hell. <laughs> Oh, it's a nice spot, Sweden. It's a lovely place. It's a really fucking lovely place. Yeah. And then after there, you went and worked for, is it, what's he called? Magnus, Magnus Nielsen? I, yeah, I left Matthias and that's when we had our, our first, our first kid, Walter, our son. And then we decided to relocate up to the, to the north in the middle of nowhere for, I don't know how long we were there, about 10 months, I think. So, yeah, up in the mountains, kind of. You got a view out of the kitchen window of the, the biggest ski mountain in, in Sweden, Aura, Aura Scoot, and it's Aura is the, like, the biggest ski resort. Oh, man, what's that like? Crazy. It was, ama- like, it was amazing to be up there. I think it was the... Uh... Like, you, the first job, you'd get on a quad bike and go off into the woods to pick birch leaves and take moss for the scallop dish. And, like, so you were properly out, out in the nature, which was lovely. It was really – in. The, yeah. I, I had a great time. I think it was – it's a pretty demanding kitchen. Like, quite – Magnus is, is definitely – what what now they're closing unfortunately but he was definitely you know like you could see he was schooled in paris at three michelin star restaurants there was that sort of precision and so it was good i mean i'm probably one of the least precise chefs 
around so i was useless they were like i couldn't do i couldn't do anything but it was it was fun to it was fun to be there and trying to be precise for a little while it's funny you should say that there's definitely them people who are and there's definitely them people that aren't yeah yeah, yeah. definitely and when you up there up there billy were you there for the winter we moved up in September, and I think we left in was it in June or something. So yeah, we were there for a whole winter season, oh, which was intense. Then it was dark up, up there. It would get dark. It'd be light from about half past ten in the morning until maybe half past two. Bloody hell! And then the rest of the time was just pitch black. <laughs> crazy, crazy place to work. Was, I should imagine. Yeah, that was strange. And you're like, you'd drive. I we lived the main town where most people lived was Aura, which was the ski resort. But we lived on the backside of the mountain in a little tiny village where I guess the average age was about eighty two, and there was forty people who lived there year round. Like it, that was nuts. With an old man called Burya who who had sheep. And he would, if he needed a, a sheep slaughtering, he'd knock on the door at like half past six. So you'd be in bed and you'd get an, hear a knock on the door and think, oh, bloody hell, here we go. <laughs> and first it got a bit, a bit exciting that you'd go and like help him slaughter a sheep because, you know, that whole sort of romantic idea of that the chef should be able to kill the meat that they're... And at first it was all right. And then by the 15th time, like... <laughs> Oh goodness! Did you did you ever actually do it? Did you ever actually put the knife in? I never did it. I never did. I would hold the sheep, and he would put the bolt gun through the head. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then but then you would got it like hang it up and got it and butcher it there and stinking. So, it was all, it wasn't too bad, but it's just killing animals isn't for me. Like I'm happy to not kill animals. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I've shot a deer. I, I shot a, a stag in in Scotland, and I, I've shot a fair few rabbits. And I um I once shot a chicken with an air rifle and did. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm laughing because I'm not laughing that it's funny, like funny that I shot a chicken, but it, I must have hit it in the feathers and it just didn't do anything apart from put its head under it. I, I chased it. It was in my auntie's garden in Scotland, and I chased it in this pen, lined up the the air rifle, and I. Shot shot it and it like put its head under its wing and then it like ran around with its head under its wing and I felt super guilty and I just let it out basically that's what happened I was like I couldn't I couldn't do it I was like oh, it, I just felt bad if I had got it first go it would have been different like I did with the stag and that but because I'd hurt it I felt I just felt a bit guilty just let, yeah, let it out yeah. <laughs> it's not as easy as it seems that's all, that's what I'm saying and now so no, wait, definitely not and wait so where are you working now Billy now I'm working at a place called it's called Rosendahl's Tradgar or Rosendahl's Tregod, which means Rosendahl's Garden. And it's a um, just Stockholm is made up of five islands, I think, or four islands. And one of them is called Yugodon, which means Animal Island. And historically, it was the king's hunting ground. And right in the middle of that island, there's a five hectare organic biodynamic nursery and cafe. Um, and I'm like heading up the kitchens there. So we've got a big, we grow loads of vegetables and we've got a cafe that serves lots of guests. And uh, I think you might have been there when you, when you visited, I, I think you might have been there. Yeah. Is it like a, like a garden center kind of thing as well? Does it have, does it feel a bit like garden center? Like, um, 
is it uh, what's the word like greenhouses lots of greenhouses in that is there yeah there's green the cafe's in the greenhouse and then they have like yeah. a little shop that sells gardeny things and then they've got another shop that sells or we've got another shop that sells like jams and stuff that we produce in in-house and books and bits and pieces and then there's the cafe and then there's a big like event uh, evening weddings and we just got a big wood-fired pizza pizza oven from italy so we're, we're sort of beginning to work out how we can how we can use that for the for the coming season that's nice that's yeah. nice yeah and you, you enjoy obviously you've got to say you enjoy it there but is it is it it's a lot different to some of the places you've worked yeah i think it's at first i remember when i start i've been there for three years now and when i when I was like in discussions about getting there, there was a lot of talk of like we're gonna do these small dinners and we're gonna try and like up the food so people start thinking of us as a bit more of a destination in a sort of kind of what would be more traditionally like a fine dining sense. You know, we'll do dinners for twenty and it'll be celebrating the produce that we grow and all that. And over time you realise that actually What's the most enjoyable is that we serve thousands of guests every I think last year we served about 140,000 guests in the cafe. Jesus. All organic, mostly biodynamic vegetables coming from, first we go to our own garden, which is only big enough to provide us with about 10% of our vegetables. And then we use, we use other nearby farms that grow in a similar method and then we go out top so we're not too dogmatic we'll use blood oranges when they're in season and we use lemon and we use everything everything that's good but we just make sure that what we buy is as good as it possibly can be yeah. so feeding this this amount of people with such good quality product i mean that's amazing i think that's the that's way more what i thought would be interesting would be toning it down and serving less people but what actually is the most rewarding part of the job is the fact that we serve so many people and and we serve so many people such good food and what about the organization the organization side of things do you enjoy that like the the logistics of getting it all going and, and making it all work definitely yeah i enjoy yeah. that too and i mean that's something that i've had to that i've had to sort of understand that the realistically i'm not going to be stood in the kitchen as much as i probably would like so every every six months or so we'll have a kitchen meet and we say okay i'm going to spend three days a week in the kitchen and then the administration will take such and such and then after two days i spend five days a week doing administration and 15 minutes a week in the in the kitchen so, that, so so on a day-to-day basis what is it that's taking up your time it's a lot of because it's such a big operation it's a just it's a lot of like just double checking and having meetings with the events the the event bookers having checking in with the cafe checking in with the event staff speaking to the bakers making sure everyone's all right speaking to suppliers it's like hold like spinning all the plates if you know what i mean someone's i try and take all the information and divide it out where it should be do you know what i mean so okay. nobody so it's trying to filter a little bit of because there's always like any any job there's always some bullshit there's always people moaning or you don't do you know what i mean so try and get make sure the right people get the right information without too much of the fuzz that goes around it you know I mean? and how do you find the challenges of being a an englishman an englishman in sweden 
Not an Englishman in New York. Well, how does that? How does that? Do you get the same respect? Can you speak? Do they all speak English, or do you speak Swedish? Is it Swedish? We, Please say it's Swedish. We, we speak most. I speak mostly English. Mayumi, who's from Japan, who works there, she doesn't speak very good English. So me and her speak Swedish. <laughs> but mostly, mostly we speak. I speak English and a bit of Swedish here and there. I can get by with Swedish. Especially, but if I'm, but I'm not that confident, and we have a lot of people from around the world working there, so yeah, okay, it's quite good that the base level is Swedish, mm. is English, sorry, and then if we need to, yeah, meetings are always in Swed in Swedish, but I'll often respond in English, so, so it, it works. So you un you understand what's going on if you have a meeting in Swedish, you know what you can understand what's going on, no problem. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, okay. And if it's boring, it's way easier to zoom out <laughs> when it when it's in Swedish. And what about um, what about menu changes and all that kind of thing? Is it is it you using what? Have you got a gardener or someone that's saying, "Oh, I've got loads of pumpkin, or I've got loads of turnip, or I've got loads of rocket, or whatever it might be." Yeah, exactly. So we work on a week. We try and change the menu weekly because it's it's such a big operation. If you do it more frequently, it's it's a mess and it's so much food waste and you run out and things. So we, we have a blackboard outside the kitchen where the gardener writes what he's got and, or what they've got and the quantities. So then we base the menu around that. Then we'll call the supplier. We always have one meat dish, one vegetarian soup, a couple of different sandwiches. It's not a huge menu, but it's huge quantities. So yeah. we'll yeah. Look, we base the menu around what our produce first, and then we supplement it with what we can get in from other people. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's, that's smart. And, and, what, and with the animals, are you getting whole animals, or are you just getting shoulders or just shanks or, or loins or whatever? We're not getting so much whole land. We do occasionally. We're getting in, I think we're getting in five goats this week. And for Christmas, we're getting in six whole giant pigs. So the whole Christmas period, we're going to use pigs from a farm not too far away. Um, but generally, we've got a price point where we can't afford to be that expensive because the vegetables that we're getting are really really expensive and it's a lunch it's mainly lunch people don't want to spend 30 quid on a lunch dish even in sweden so we try and look at we're about between i don't know 140 krona which is maybe like 12 pound which i don't know what that is in dollars but but it's quite reasonable 20 dollars yeah 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 which is quite reasonable for an organic lunch of the the quality that we we try and yeah, provide definitely so what, um, do, is there any techniques that you use to to like you know obviously you, you're not using the well here would be like the pork chop sorry the lamb chops or you know the lamb cutlets will you be using shoulder or are you using tongue or you know what you using we, we can't be too we make sausages we've got a guy who comes and makes sausages with us petter and he's um he may he's really fun how he works like he he doesn't come from a cooking background or a butchery background he's a graphic designer but the way it's really fun how he thinks about food and how he thinks about sausages so he comes and helps us out and he'll make crazy ones with pork and beetroot and dill and things so oh, like nice. it's almost like delicious really really nice we use a lot of sausage because it's a good way to use a che cheaper cuts without too much work so we, we have a formula where you can only work in a certain way like if it's too if it's too time demanding we can't do it because if you serve us we did 1000 i think we did 1050 people in the cafe on saturday jesus christ 1000 people 
1,000, yeah. <laughs> Far so, out, that's so, a lot. Yeah, and we did, we had, a, it was um, Harvest Festival, so we had a grill in the garden where we were serving some sausages. We had like a dish with flatbread and hummus and a sausage and like kind of kebabby kind of feeling made from, from lamb from the 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 flock that the king has on the island where where the place is but we served i think we served more than 600 sausages and a thousand and fifty people in the cafe so it that is a lot and a wedding for 85 that night so yeah it was <laughs> i know it sounds daft but what about the, have you got a big dishwasher section yeah yeah i was gonna yeah, say huge is it yeah, yeah. that would be probably the biggest section and, in the bill in the thing is it that's and, it's massive and they've got like they've got the couple of like electric cars that they drive around the site to pick up because the majority of the plates from the cafe is left outside in like a big dish area so there's one or two people constantly just driving around the site picking up dishes mm. they have this enormous machine and uh, yeah the setup it's a it's an operation certainly yeah that's smart it's funny you should say that about the volume it's the same not trying to turn it on me this is on you but i can definitely re- relate to that because when we when we create terrines or pates or whatever it might be we are i always have to think of volume it's always in my mind volume because you can try and make something that's really fantastic for like one or two or three but when you're making you know when you're doing like half a ton of it or do you know what i mean or you're doing like 60s 90s 120 you you, you can't it still has to be fantastic, but it's and great produce and seasoning, right, and all the rest of it. But there's some things that you just can't do when you're doing them numbers. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we can't yeah. be searing off pigeon breasts, marinating pigeon breasts and seeing them off lightly and, you know, and then layering them up in between. We just, like, we just can't. Like, we'd, we'd just run out. We just wouldn't yeah. be able to produce it. It's not cost effective. We just can't. So you've, you're still trying to put your skill. And that's just a skill on its, in itself, I think, as well, which I, I like, I quite like excuse me i quite like that the challenge of that as well definitely i think when it when it comes to like we struggle with fish for a long time because if you got that sort of numbers and you need to serve you need to serve we don't need to because we often don't but we're trying to serve fish still perfectly cooked for that many people i mean you can't do it so we we spoke with different smokehouses and we've got a connection so we can make a supply chain of organic farmed salmon that we we cut out the middleman and go straight to the straight to the smoker because the the product is consistently good. We don't have to worry that it's going to be dried out if you can't you can't cook one portion at a time when you're doing a thousand for lunch. You have to do thirty portions at a time. Yeah, yeah of course. Finding a way to work with with yeah, keeping the quality high is is always been a been an issue the the other thing i was going to say when you're saying about cutting out that middleman as well that you then you're saving a bit of money someone else isn't jumping on that percentage they're not putting their 20 or their 30 percent on it as well you know when you've got that volume definitely and that's something where we we work quite a lot directly with farmers and and directly with especially vegetable farmers we've got three or four that we're we're in weekly contact with it makes such a because you can you can afford to buy the very best and serve at a lower price which we need to because you're not like i said before you're not going to get people spending the money that exactly exactly that's just, it's the same as us we we don't use a, a butcher we just use a wholesaler we use the same people at the that the people that supply the restaurants who they get their meat off we go we just cut that middleman out as well we just 
There's no point. Yeah. There's no point now when you've got the volume, you might as well just go straight to the horse's mouth effectively. Anyway, listen, let's, yeah, now we'll be talking about that. And now you, you've, you, you've just released a book called Eat, Run, Enjoy. Yep. And one, I've got to say, honestly, I'm not just saying it and, you know, we're mates and all the rest of it. People are like, yeah, you're just saying that. But that's a, fen- it's a phenomenal book. Far out. It's really, I, I couldn't, I had a good flick through it today. You, you sent me it and um, it's, it's a lot different than I expected, to be honest. It's, um, it's, the, the, yeah, it is the layout's a lot different to what I expected. It's got, you know, it's from, from breakfast to lunch to dinner, smoothies, you know, um, uh, like bread, your bread. I remember when you were, I remember when you were mastering your bread back in the day. Do you remember you used to be always making, making bread, your bread's in there, pizza, and then you've got bra- the, the braised rabbit. It's, you know, it's, there's something for everything, everyone in there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've, yeah. Ne- I've never seen anything laid out like that. I don't think. Maybe uh, maybe I have, but not 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 in that. Me personally, I'm I'm sure there is people out there not as solid as that. Me, that's what I think. I think it's it's really awesome. I'd be super proud. And the other thing I'll just say before we start talk- talking about it, the photography is fantastic. I don't know who did the photography, but there's one where the guy's I think he's in the Lake District and he's looking and it's like the shots took behind him and it, you can see the lake and yeah, all yeah. the 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 mountains. It looks it's just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the photographer's Patrick. Who's it's a really small book publisher, so there's only two of them, Patrick and Charlotte. And Patrick took all the photos, and he's yeah, he's definite. So he took the food photos plus the all the other ones. So they're quite different in style, I think. And that was something that we spoke about that we, well, the, the images of people running and the mountains and what's hopefully ins- will inspire people to get out and move a little bit were a lot to take in the images of the food are quite simple and like <clears throat> back there's no food styling or any nonsense they're just hopefully tasty tasty looking plates of food yeah exactly and chris eager was telling me about on the other day them raw slices i, just, I meant to say that i'm second ago yeah. like chris eager, they, like they, that's like uh yeah he was t- talking about because like, he's on that health kick and all that and he's done yeah, amazingly yeah. i say health kick like i'm brushing it off what he's achieved is second and it's just amazing but um yeah, them, them, them raw slices. It's got them in them and trail mix, and it's just there's so much in there. It's fantastic. No, I think it's it's trying to sort of cover all the bases. So basically, the idea was, or it came about. I started writing. Some, I've been quite into running for the last sort of seven or eight years now, and a couple of years ago, I started writing some recipes for a trail running website. Did they approach just, you? Did they? Sorry, did they approach you? Billy? I approached. The publishers or the website? The website, or, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I approached them um, with the idea that there would be a bit of a sort of journal. So I would post a little bit like what I've been up to or if I've had any races and also a, a meal that would be suitable for running. So whether it was for training or for after a race or pre, do you know what I mean? Just yeah, something yeah. so it would be more sense than just them listening to my boring running stories there would be a recipe that people might actually be interested to see yeah and then after doing that for a few months the publisher got in touch saying that they were interested in like trail running they're interested in trail running something that they do it wasn't like we're this is the new trend kind of it was actually something that they were interested in beforehand which is really nice so we met a few yeah we met a few times and went backwards and forwards whether we would do how it would be, whether it would be 
purposely for like ultra runners or people who run really far or whether it's for like how to balance it a little bit and in the end we just went with in what would make the most sense about the lifestyle it's more about the lifestyle of living well and enjoying yourself and doing things that you love rather than whether you can run a fast 5k or whether you can run 120 miles in the mountains that's all that's each that's so individual but eating well being outside i think brings is what it's all about it doesn't matter so they're seeing your work through the 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 blog the website they're seeing it through there or they just knew you from the running scene or something I think they knew me from they knew me, they found me on the website on the yeah, the trail yeah. running website but then also I mean Stockholm is not huge so they know of Rosendahl where I'm work where I've been working and there's yeah I think they they knew Yeah okay so what got you into running and what was your first run Just after I moved here I wasn't running at all I was still rather heavy <laughs> from, <laughs> still think about them pints of guinness <laughs> yeah throw back to the st john days um and a friend of mine kaha for an irish lad who i used to know from york was coming to stockholm to run the stockholm half marathon and he mm. he asked if i fancied doing it and i thought i'd give it a crack so yeah, so I, I started training and it was only, I think I had three months from not running at all to running a half marathon um, and just about managed to get around on that. And then that sort of, the bug was set, if you know, what would you say? The seed was, seed was sown. You run your way, you run your way. Yeah, That's exactly. it, yeah. Yeah. And then, then you, you did the, the coast to coast as well, didn't you? Quite Was that quite shortly after that as well? Was it the I coast was to into, coast? Yeah, I'd been running about a year, I think. And a friend of mine suggested if, if we thought whether we fancied running Wainwright, Alfred Wainwright is a is a author who devised a lot of. He's famous in the Lake District for ticking off the peaks in the lake or the fells in the Lake District, and he devised a, a, a through hike going from the Irish coast to the North Sea or the Irish Sea to the North Sea across the country called the Coast to Coast, which makes quite good sense. <laughs> and um, we yeah. decided we decided to do it for charity. Run, run. It works out that it's 190 miles, which translates to seven marathons in seven days. Jesus. Yeah, taking in about nine thousand vertical meters, so a little bit more than Everest over that. Then a year in, you're running. Not like uh, not like a challenge. Bloody <laughs> hell! How was that? That was that was it was hard. It was really. I mean, it was a long time ago, and I was probably I sh- I was a bit too inexperienced to do it. Like it was heavy on my body. I think it, I struggled. Yeah, but yeah. It, it was not like I was out with Chris, who's who's like one of my oldest best friends for seven days outside seeing some of the most beautiful parts of the country so it was great and we finished every night he stayed in his van his wife was like supporting us and then christine came along for the last few days so we had a support crew and ate and moaned and complained and swore a little bit about how how much pain we were in but it was it was yeah at the time it was a bit miserable at times but it was yeah it was tough and it was great at the same time to get up the next day must be really tough like to do one i can imagine pushing yourself and all right you know 27 miles whatever you know you do one get it out the way and that feels great right that's it done but then to go to bed and be like right 
I think we'll do that again tomorrow. Is it? it I don't know. It just, that just yeah. fucking day, freaked day me six, out. Day six was rough. I can tell you, day six yeah. was rough. Yeah, yeah. To get going, put lacing up your shoes again, and putting your yeah. fucking and look, any blisters or anything? No, to, I lost. A, I think I lost three or four toenails. I think, but I didn't have any blisters. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds awesome. I am. Um, well, but what about good old chaffage? Fucking, I did. The, I did a few half marathons, if you believe it or not. But um, but when we're running on them half marathons, there'll be people with like Vaseline to rub your fucking sack and that. Well, was it yeah, for yeah. you? I don't. I think it was yeah. it, it for chaffage because chaffage can put a man out. That's essential. Vaseline, yeah. Vaseline, and and tape nipples. Yeah, that rubbing on the net. Jesus oh, Christ. I've yeah. gone home from school, fed up one time with them. I was like, fuck <laughs> this. I've had enough. It's just too much. It's, it's so sore, isn't it? Yeah, I, horrible, well, that was because I, for, I forgot me I forgot me bra. I forgot to put <laughs> me bra on that day. <laughs> so so you, you must be like, you must love the running these days. And how often do you train? Maybe, it depends. If I, on a big week, I'll maybe run nine times i guess on a normal week it's maybe like six or seven shit so some days it's twice in a day yeah normally i run to work i normally run to work three times a week there and back on a big week it's four (laughs) times a week so yeah so you use that as your training just to to run to work to try and not take too much time away from the family when i'm not working it's yeah that's smart it's a it's ten k to work almost exactly a little just a touch more, and that it takes me it's only ten minutes slower if I run than if I take the push bike or take public transport. So it's for free. It's it's a, I lose twenty minutes a day, but it means I don't have to take any time out. And then I'll try and do twice a week. I'll get up really early. This morning I was up. There's a big hill, the ski hill in Stockholm, or the biggest hill that's in Stockholm. I I was up there between six and seven doing hill repeats. And which is what you just run? Do you run up and do you run down or do you walk down? Run down. Run down? Run down. Try to run up as far as possible, but it's a a fairly big hill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> How long will it take you to run up that hill? Maybe four or five minutes. It's yes, not oh, huge, okay. but it's big enough that it's it's a bit of a push. I think there was last year I did, did a marathon on that hill, and it was twenty twenty two loops up and down the mar- up and down the hill made a marathon. Wow! And how many did you do a day? Did you say? I think I was was it I don't know seven or eight something like that. And when what? you when you do that run to work, I, like I, this sounds I know it's probably a bit vulgar, but do you get a shower in that? Have you got a shower yeah. at work or yeah. do you just get straight into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About shower. Yeah, so the, that's yeah. one of the first questions I asked was that there needed to be a shower before taking the job. Really? Definitely. Because you can't, I can't not run to work. Do you know, it's it's got to that point where that little bit of, it's a little bit of time to myself. I don't sit on the, don't sit on the train looking at my phone or sitting on the bus looking at the phone. It's just time. Either I'll listen to a podcast or music or just more often than not just daydream and not listen to anything. Nothing. Zero in your ears. Just, just get after it. Just plenty in my, in the brain. <laughs> Digesting. <laughs> yeah. <life>. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy I've got to say I, I used to really enjoy running as well I did I really enjoyed it but you know what When I, I'm definitely not built for running that is for sure and I never picked up so many injuries fucking hell like, yeah. those, me, like shins my glutes 
My glutes, yeah. my, my ass basically was yeah. fucking tight as a thing. My back, I did heaps of injuries off that running. I'm telling you, it's not as but like it's as simple it, as it it's sounds. It's a lot with technique, and it's a lot. It's easy when it starts going well. You start to push yourself a little bit, and pushing. It's like I've been running eight years now, and my, I've been touch wood fairly injury free for a little while. But it comes with little while, a little while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I think it's At the beginning, not so much. No, exactly. Like I remember training for the first marathon, and I had shin splints, and had to put bandages around my ankles and all sorts. Yeah, yeah. But just pushing too much, and then now I'm a bit more intuitive. I know when I need to rest. So if I'm not feeling good, I'll take the push bike to work rather than rather than run just for the sake of it, or take a few days off completely. Well, are you excited to run, or you're like, I can't be asked with this, and you'll still do it, or will you, or, or will you, you know, are you excited like getting there in the morning? I get to run to work. Nah, I, in the morning it's not. It's in the spring when it's starting to get light again. That's all right, but this time of year when it's dark and cold, like absolutely zero percent excited. But it's yeah, a routine. Really yeah. Need to get to work. I'm no more excited or less excited to start running than I am to get on the bike. That's pretty miserable yeah, as well. Yeah. Getting on the tube at that time is even worse. So nobody wants to go to work at half past five in the morning. Getting back on the running, you interviewed some of the some really you know elite athletes for that, like especially the lady, the lady in in America, isn't it? Like, what's yeah, she yeah. The... Courtney DeWalter, she's. Yeah, she's in Colorado. She's, uh, she's on the Joe. Is that the one that was on the Joe Rogan podcast as well? She, I think, yeah, in, yeah. Just after she won the two hundred and forty mile race in the Moab Desert. That's it. Yeah. 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 What was she yeah. like? What amazing? She was really nice. She was funny. Like she had a good, really good at, attitude about everything. Like pretty easygoing and not so. She just. She was. It was the same. Like quite intuitive the way she ran. Like she could. She must be hard as nails. There's no question to be able to do what she does but she was seems so easy going and just she enjoys it so she just cracks on and gets it done she doesn't have too much of a strict training plan she does not too strict with what she she's not she'd like we met in a brewery in in the town she lived we went for a quick run and then we went to a brewery and had a, a good few beers and and some barbecue from a food truck in the in the car park so it was like really easy going and then the next week she did a backyard race which she ended up running like 270 miles in in six jesus yeah she was she she's was, one of the best in the world she she is one of the best in the world in jubilee yeah what she what she does is like at that sort of level like high distance and long long distances and multi days and things that are extremely painful she's about as good as it gets yeah i think there's one of them where she said she went blind she was yeah. running and yeah. she went black she ran so yeah. much she went blind <laughs> like for fucks <laughs> but she still won like, she still won oh did she she went blind with about like seven miles to go in a hundred mile race and she still won she was still the fast woman the first woman to finish christ that is next level running till you go that is just off the charts seriously yeah. like yeah at what point isn't it healthy? At what point is it a, like a, like a drug effectively? Do you know what I mean? Like you've got to ask yourself that a little bit. Like I think it must like, be a, it must be something like there's 
if you got you can do everything too much can't you i guess it's just a case yeah exactly it yeah extreme on anything isn't it yeah, yeah. exactly you know yeah. drinking smoking and even that like you say when you run into you to you to you go blind it's you know that's that's pushing shit to the fucking edge and looking over isn't it and like yeah. literally like what's next is it you like if you are if that's going is it you, what's next your, your fucking kidneys your heart what's well, next after happens, that you know? it? kidneys kidneys is common that people's kidneys start to shut down on these longer races out of dehydration is it yeah that happens doesn't it that's a lot of you hear about that a lot dehydration so they're like the piss is like coffee apparently Oh uh, yeah, I think I listen. I listen to that David Goggins book. He now he is a lunatic. That guy yeah. is off his head. He is so off his head. I got Eagle onto him. Eagle loves him. He listens to him every day. I don't know how I'm fucking done to it. Like I don't know if that was a good idea telling him about him. But bloody hell! But that's what he was saying. One of them. Like I think he said he was pissing. Like just gloop was coming out. Like what the fuck? But is it, going it's. On? I think it's one thing. Like if you're in it. Like I'm far from elite. Like I'm a decent. I'm maybe at the front of the middle pack if you know what I mean I'm far from competing to try and win if I'm lucky or the I can maybe finish in the top 10 if there's not very many good runners running do you know what I mean it's also (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't matter it doesn't matter but that's so you you know like I know that I can do maybe two or three really long run long races in a year without too much of a side effect like but some people will do them week after week or average more than 150 miles a week for months on end i mean that's that's i don't know it's all it's all individual i think if you if you listen to your body you some people can get away with it other people can't and you know exactly and who else did you interview for for the book there's a there's a, there's a guy from uh the lake district isn't there yeah ricky lightfoot who lives he's a fireman that's him I, sorry to cut you off i was like lightfoot i was like fucking that. Good, like if he's not a good runner, who the fuck yeah, is? Do you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. No, he's got he's and it, it was nice to speak to him. He's he holds down a full time job as a fireman. He's got a wife and a daughter, and how he squeezes everything in. Like he'll do night shift and he'll go for a run after his night shift at five o'clock in the morning. Or he's fortunate that he can train while he's at work because when the down, so he's he does a lot of his like speed work on the treadmill. So I think it it was quite nice to listen to like how people. Get get the work life balance because i think that comes whether you work in the restaurant industry or if you work in anything to keep like on top of keep yourself in good shape and work hard it's difficult yeah absolutely definitely and but it's what, what you were saying there about the speed work is a different styles of training is there like like running fast and then downhill and uphill and you know long distance do you have to cover all them bases you can't yeah. just do one kind of running I think if it depends how you want to do. Like if you want to go a little bit faster, you need to do some speed work here. If you say you want to run a long race, like that's if you say you want to do a fifty mile race, if you just want to finish, you don't need to do any speed work. You could probably get away with doing doing some hills and doing trying to get like a consistent, quite high mileage over a week week like over yeah. a few weeks, so long as you're consistently doing quite a few miles but if you wanted to start to try and push and be be a little bit more competitive then you need to do some speed work i think or else you just don't have it in you i i, I listen i listened to a few things about that and it said um 
you've got to do the speed work because your body has to get used to doing speed. It has to, yeah. do you know what I mean? It has to get used to traveling at that speed. So you, even if you do speed work over a short distance, like it's, you know, sprints or just a lot shorter distance, obviously you're not going to go, in, you know, fast over miles and miles and miles, but your body just gets, your ligaments and that get used to going at that speed. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And I think it's also, but it's also one of those things as well. Like it's good if you, you should build up to it. If you go for it, if you go, like if you've not run at all and then after two weeks you start working on like, like short intervals of 10 times a hundred meters or something, you're probably going to do yourself more damage than good because the body, your body's not used to it. So you always need to ramp up. Do you know what I mean? Like start. Yeah. 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 It's the same as any patience is always best with these things. I think. It's a long goal, isn't it? It's definitely yeah, a long goal. Definitely. What, um, and it, would you say the book is for, you know, a lot of the books these days are for chefs or for home cooks or for wives or, whatever, you know, the, the, the lady of the house or whatever it might be. Would you say yours is for ath- for athletes and people that are interested or is it for, for chefs or what, what, was your, what was your target market? I think it's hard to say. I wouldn't. I think I, it was really important to me to make a book that was a, a, it's a cookbook first and foremost. So and and being a chef for twenty odd years and owning hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks, the priority number one was to make a cookbook that was really good. It need, yeah. that, like if it wasn't legit as a cookbook, I wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have come out. Do you know what I mean? That was so. I think. But then with having this theme of running. With it, it's obviously, it's more likely, if you're interested in running, it's more likely to appeal than if you're not interested in running. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you could, there's definitely, there's plenty of recipes that suit non-run. Do you know what I mean? I think it's for everybody to a certain extent. Mm. Definitely it's going to appeal a bit more if you're into running than if you're not. I like the way, the way I, I felt like it was really good. I felt like you could see a lot of your career in there, to be honest. Like, for instance, the the deviled um, chicken livers yeah. the, on toast. I, lo- I love, excuse me, I love the way you had a section on toast. Yeah. Like, I was like, it's very, it feels very northern on toast. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I was waiting for the spaghetti hoops. I was like, where's the fucking <laughs> spaghetti hoops? The, um, well, I just, you know, we like a lot of things on bread, especially up yeah, north. Yeah. And everything, t- everything, in Eagle's words, everything tastes good on toast, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and then definitely. I sit the Cavalo Nero, I think this is right, the Cavalo Nero Caesar salad, was it? Is it yeah. Cavalo Nero Caesar? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like use it, instead of using the gem or the the uh, baby gem or iceberg or whatever, using the, the Cavalo Nero which is i guess is a bit of an influence from where you're working now i should imagine with the vegetables yeah, and yeah definitely definitely and it stands up really well with the, so long as you dress it a little well in advance it, it stands up really well to them flavors so you can have a really punchy dressing because the the cavallo cavallo nero has so, such a such a flavor and then also from a from a, a training perspective it's high in iron which is always good when you when you're putting your body through some some hard work oh the iron's good to, re- to replace yeah. obviously is that is it really okay yeah okay just yeah, just so. a little bit left field do you take any supplements any cod liver oil or any magnesium or anything like that no i used to but i try and get everything i might do if like supplement if i'm doing a race then some of the i'd use these gels sometimes just because it's easier to get down and some of them might have extra magnesium or potassium and things in but otherwise i i I think i try and get everything from just real food yeah good for you smart fucker eh 
not not at this end that's for sure i take cod liver oil and magnesium every day i think it's good i think it depends on i think no no i do i i i do i do like it what would you what would you say was some of the dishes that you're most proud of in the book um i really like you mentioned the deviled chicken liver on toast i I like that's i think that's delicious it's a little bit more challenging as well which i thought was or a little bit out of it's not the most normal dish in there if you know what i mean it's quite it's a little bit out there but it's also delicious so and and it's really good for you i don't think they say that liver is one of the best things for you nutritionally one of the best things for you on the planet especially do they really sit yeah and it and oh, Billy, you wouldn't believe how much liver we go through i'm not joking really? we do 150 kilo chicken livers a week 150 kilos a week that's a lot <laughs> it's a lot it's a logic a lot of chicken liver for sure yes i like that one i like the braised rabbit just because it's always fun to have rabbit dish in a in a book because you don't see rabbit about so often and it's delicious i think it's a shame that it's not used more often yeah, exactly. I picked up on that as well. I thought that, that then two things exactly. Yeah, and I, I don't know. Like, there's the easy one. Some of the simple as a porridge in the beginning, which we like, especially my son Walter. He has for breakfast almost every day. And uh, it's called Walter's. It's called Walter's super porridge, right? Is yeah, it? That's what he, that's what he calls it. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that's great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's. I don't know, really. There's a lot. I'm happy with. I could answer which recipes I'm I'm not happy with easier than which ones I am happy yeah, with. Yeah, I'm, course, not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to tell you which ones that, that is. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's just I think that's just in ev- in all of our I'd say our nature. Do you know what I mean? Like. It's just been self-critical, isn't it? I think that's everyone. Everyone's like that, especially in our industry. You know, you're always picking. It's always the bad, you know, because you want to improve and you want it to be perfect, don't you? And it can't yeah. be. It, it just can't be. So it's something you've just got to, got to get used to. But I, I love the also. I don't know if you if you did this on purpose, but the um, in the the Saint John book, he's got the the what's the the drink called with the bloody hell. It's, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue with the the drink that he drinks. It's too much of somewhat good. What's it called? The drink, Doctor Henderson. Fucking Doctor Henderson. He's yeah. got the he's got the Doctor Henderson with the Fernet Branca and the Creme de Vermouth. No, with the yeah, the, the, the mint. Is it Creme de Menthe? Yeah. yeah. And then on, you've got the the cup of tea. I was like, <laughs> you know, different. I felt like there was different nods to Saint John's throughout the book in some way. You you probably like oh, it was not even meant like that, but that's how it felt. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I hope there's a nod to a few places. Do you know, or, or there's definitely a, a couple of purposeful nods to St. John because I think as much as St. You don't put like good health and well-being next to St. John. Really, it's all a, it, but it is about well-being. But it's not. I know Fergus is certainly not around it. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also that sort of. It's a similar. It comes from a similar mind, a similar angle, but a completely different point if you know what i mean like there's there's very little frill it's more everything's there for a purpose it tastes nice it's got a reason and yeah so there's definitely a nod to st john in the book even though it's yeah it's not the most direct comparison do you know what i mean yeah yeah i felt i I did i did i did feel i did feel that a little bit yeah which is really good so what are you what are your goals for for 2020 with your running 2020 there's a couple of races. I've I've never raced. I've raced in England and I've raced in Sweden. 
and there's a there's a big race where we did the launch of the book um in Chamonix that was two weeks ago, the UTMB, the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc. That's a hundred and five miles circumnavigating Mont Blanc. And that's what's that what's that bit mean? What were there? What did you say there, Billy? What was that thing you just said? Circumnavigating. Like going around. So you start in Chamonix and you finish in Chamonix and you go all the way oh, around okay. the whole right. of the the whole of the Mont Blanc massive. So the the highest mountain in, in Western Europe. I think so it's hundred and five miles and ten I think ten thousand five hundred meters of vertical climbing. But up and downs during that whole period so it's like a 10k up a ladder and down a ladder as well as running 105 miles so that's that's somewhere where maybe it's not next year because it's really difficult to get in but i definitely like to go back to chamonix and do that i mean with the running i've got i've got a road marathon for the first time in for the first time since 2012 that's in york coming up next month so that i'm almost almost more nervous about that because you're you actually have to run fast for 26 miles. I'm not sure I can do that, but we'll see. And is that part of the, are you doing any of this to promote the book or anything? Like, you know, to get the, get them people going, you know, is it part of the promotion at all? No, that one isn't really, but I've been, I've been in touch with a couple of running shops in, in York and somewhere in London. And there's bits and bits. We're going to a big, there's the biggest cross country race in the world is in Stockholm. So we have a booth there where we're going to have the, we're going to have the book 40,000 people go through the, the expo to pick up their numbers. So we're, we're definitely trying to be visible to the right people who might be interested. Yeah. Okay. And is, is the book in two, is it in two languages? Yeah, so it comes. It's out in Swedish and in um, and in English, and it's we're in talks with a French publisher and a, I think a, was it a Russian already? So a Russian publisher have got in touch as well. So there's Brilliant. yeah. So yeah, hopefully it will be out in more languages. There's a fair few people. There's fair few people in Russia. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so and and you can get it everywhere, America, uh, Australia. Can we get it here in Australia? You can. The only issue is that the post-it, because it's ba- we're based in, in the publisher's based in Stockholm, so it's yeah. just getting the the postage deal. There is, I think, as well, they're in talks with the publisher in Australia, or at least distribution. So the distribution wouldn't be for so so far away because that's the only yeah, problem yeah. with it being such a small publisher. The reach is a little bit difficult, so the book is slightly more expensive than than like Amazon books in general because it has to be because the publishing house is so small, the overheads are always slightly higher. Um, but the support, at least the support in like you know up and coming people, people doing something a bit different. It's not the same people. Like and no disrespect to like Jamie Oliver or Gordon Ramsay or what these people. It's just the same books churned out, churned yeah. out. This is like someone's proper heart and soul's gone into this. Definitely, you know I mean? and like we've. I don't even know how many meetings we've had or how much time we spent together discussing and tweaking and like perfecting and getting it so it can be exactly how. Like I'm really proud of how it's turned out. It's it's. It sounds horrible to say, but it's. I think it's a really good book, and that. I think it's a honestly, Billy. I think it's a fantastic book. I'm not just like I said at the beginning. I'm not just saying it. It's a proper piece of work. Like yeah. if I'd done that, I'd be fucking buzzing. Do you know? Yeah. That's like, you know, that's a proper lifetime achievement. Do you not reckon? Yeah. I'd be fucking stoked if <laughs> I'd done that. No, I am. I'm really happy with how it's turned out. But it's. I think the only way that it could have been as it is is because it's with a small publishing house that 
work a lot with passion rather than numbers if you know what i mean so oh definitely yeah so i think it 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 should it will merit itself and hopefully sell quite well because it's a really good product but we don't have the same infrastructure as a really big publishing house does if you know what i mean do you know what, though, Billy? I think for the recipes over here, I think it. I think the the market. We are, there's a bit of a running scene here. I don't really know what it is. I know Pat. You know Pat, who yeah, I did yeah, the, yeah. the uh, Ultra Chef. He there's a bit of a running scene. I follow him, and he he does a fair bit. Um, he's got like a crew and they all seem to do runs and all the rest of it so there's definitely a running scene here but do you know what I think that style of food that you're that you're doing in the book suits Australia incredibly well not even the running side or whatever but that style because over here the cafe culture is huge I don't know if you're aware are you aware of this or in no in not Australia, so much, not really right so the cafe culture here in Melbourne and a, a bit in Sydney but definitely here in Melbourne is huge. Well, the whole of Australia, to be fair, but definitely I can only speak predominantly in Melbourne because that's where I obviously where I live, is absolutely huge, 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 huge. Like, so many people go out for breakfast. There's so many cafes. There's like absolutely stacks and stacks and stacks of cafes. And it's all, it's very much like the style of food that you're doing. You know, you can get things. I know, you, I don't think you've got a muffin on there, but you can go for a muffin. You can go for a slice of banana bread. But the same as you can get a bowl of soup or you can get, you know, uh, hummus and, and pomegranate seed salad with roasted vegetables. And, you know, it's very much like that kind of like vegetables and uh, tahini yogurt. I think I think you've yeah, got a tahini yeah. yogurt thing on yeah, there. You know, yeah. it's very much like that. A bit of Lebanese, maybe some barbecued meat and flatbreads and pizza. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah, that yeah. scene. And I think the the book would, would for chefs here, would, would, would really appeal to that kind that style of cooking. Yeah, well, that's nice so to hear. I think it's important that I mean that's kind of the the intention that it it reaches wide. Like it isn't definitely not just for not just for runners certainly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna wind this up. Um, how if, right now, if people do want to get it, is it, can they get in touch with you or what's the best what's the best way to go about it? I think you can always get in touch with me on Instagram, which is where I am most. On um, it's Billy White forty three is my name and um there's a link there to the to the to the publishers so it's easiest to get it direct direct through the publishers or uh, if you send me that if you send me that link to the publishers i'll i'll put i'll put that on the show notes and whatnot as well for sure yeah. well listen to finish finish it all off i just good luck with the running for the for the for the rest of the year and the, the winter and i hope there's not too much snow you don't have to get, do you have spikes just out of interest do you get I've got, to have spikes i've got spikes yeah yeah but i yeah, I'm not, but I'm not great in the winter. I don't think, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the uh, is it the marathon or a half marathon you're doing? Marathon, marathon. York Ma- marathon. Yorkshire marathon, I think it's called. The Yorkshire Marathon, perfect. Fucking yeah. the handout cups of tea around instead of uh, <laughs> exactly. instead of oranges or whatever. It's cups of tea. <laughs> well, I hope that goes well. And I'm on a. Without being sounding too fucking fanboy, a massive congratulations and it's an amazing achievement and you should be super proud of yourself for doing it. Well, I'm proud of you, that's for sure. That's great. Thanks very much. It means a lot. Thanks very much and uh, and uh, till next time. I'll 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 catch you. I'll catch you in the next few weeks. Yeah, perfect. Thanks very much. Rob. lovely to speak to you. Cheers, Billy. Thanks, mate. Cheers. I'm going. Cheers. Take it easy. Right, See bye. you soon. That's all, folks.